What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Hail Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it, Weekend Editions here. It's Hale Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt. Mark Cranach and Connor Clark in this morning. Numbers to dial up and get involved with us if you're out and about this early. 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. can find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at ESPN Lincoln at Hale Varsity. And Connor Clark's Twitter is at C underscore Clark underscore 27 we will someday get cranach back on twitter perhaps uh email chris at alevarsity.com mark at alevarsity.com but a busy week to dive into we'll talk portal and signing day in nebraska's conglomerate uh when it comes to all three phases juco high school portal and where the class finished out uh cincinnati zach taylor and the Burroughs off to the Super Bowl. We'll hear from Proud Papa Jimmy Burrow in the Rewind in about 25 minutes or so. Northwestern Nebraska today. The Big Red and Fred need to get in the old win column. And, of course, uh, the topic of beer and Husker sporting events. So let's dive in. Cranach, what do you know? How you doing this morning? Ready from some uh, Nebraska ball, right? Like today's the day. <laughs> don't you think i mean out of the, all the times that nebraska is going to have a chance to get a w um today would be that day it it might be the only day although northwestern is on a tear they're on a one game win streak so there's a chance that they've caught fire just in time to take down the big red i don't know well we were talking with jacob padilla yesterday and the northwestern's just one of those teams that while they don't win a lot, Cranach. They do uh, make you defend. They're patient with the basketball. They don't turn it over. They have three double-digit uh, double scores. And uh, the the problem is, is their big dude is kind of a stretch three-point guy, not necessarily a back-towards-the-basket guy. So that may be advantageous for Nebraska, not having some – 7-1 psycho down in the paint. The other end of it is, all right, uh, you can draw Derek Walker out and make him defend. And Walker's a, you know, a four and a half playing a five most nights. So, I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not so optimistic. You're saying there's not a chance. Like, they, um, they always find a way to screw this up. Nebraska is, well, hold on a minute. Uh, I guess we need to be specific about the NU that ESPN's telling me that's favored. Um, you have Northwestern. <laughs> Northwestern's favorite on the road. Minus four and a half. They have a 73% uh, win percentage chance 
and the matchup predictor is in favor of the mighty Northwestern Wildcats, 64.7%. There we've geeked out with our statistics and our numbers and our percentages. But the the problem with Nebraska is they they make that mistake uh, in, in ill-conceived times. That is a bad shot, not rebounding, turning the ball over, or all of the above the final two minutes. Hey, they played well enough to win against Michigan, Mark. They just melted down. And they did to see Rutgers Tominaga too. just go do a puppet show at, at midcourt and give four free three throws away was a little disconcerting. And then to see Michigan go right at him because uh, he was still on the floor trying to defend was was not a not a great matchup. So we'll see if Nebraska can uh, can pull it together. You hope you hope so because Fred's Fred's at his wits end, Cranach, and Fred's a, a good dude and he knows basketball. But it's been an absolute tire fire this season, and quite honestly, for much of his tenure. You know, and you said it too. Good guy, respectable, respectful, all those things. Uh, so you root for him. You know, it's not like you're. It's not like a guy where you're just like, oh God, he he just doesn't get it. The culture, blah blah. blah. Like, what is the culture of Nebraska basketball, anyways? Really, you don't don't necessarily have one. It's Stop here on your way to the NBA. That's the culture. Yeah, well. And then you look at Northwestern and respectable against Michigan, respectable respectable against um, Illinois combined, you know, five points is, is how they lost those two games leading into the one-point win at Rutgers. So stands to reason that it's probably going to be a close game regardless as long as Nebraska shows up and decides to compete. Um, it's it, it does get dicey. But if you look at the stretch run of what Nebraska has, it's – you know, it's somewhat manageable. <laughs> You're now facing kind of the bottom of the standings versus the top. And look, Nebraska has played well enough. I would say Nebraska plays pretty good hoops for about 32 minutes of each game. <laughs> and then it's, but it's, it's the end of the first half. It's the beginning of the second half and the end of the second half. That's when things fall apart for some reason the rest of the time they're doing great it, it, and is that because of players not taking the right shots is it because of you know who, who, the lineups that you have in the game your approach like but there's something at the end of the first it's it's like clockwork every game is kind of the same in fact it's uncanny about how similar it is to the football team and how they play where every game was kind of the same there too it's confidence and, there's some sort of bug within the program where when it's crunch time, when it's dicey, eesh, that's when they just don't have the answers. Um, so it'll be, I don't know. I don't know. Keeping keep some faith today. I mean, if you look at it, there's only eight games left. Only Thank eight games God. left before the Big Ten tournament. So, well, you, God, how are you going to make the tournament, are they? Well, I, I don't think this is a situation where you're, relegated per the Big East. I think everybody goes, don't they? <laughs> Tells you all you need to know about Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've been bad, but you've we never been like, here you know, they're going to make the tournament. Connor, jump in sure. here. <laughs> Dude, the, the Big Ten 
basketball tournaments lived in Chicago more times than not. That's your town. Everybody gets to go, right? I mean, there's no – you need to stay home because you're horrible. I was no, thinking I mean, everybody's baseball. there. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, everybody gets to go, Mark. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. You know, so nine games left. <laughs> nine games one. left in the season. Uh, oh, man. Well, we'll see where it's at. Now, the difference between Nebraska football and Nebraska basketball is Nebraska football either didn't make a play or made the wrong play and turned it over. And in football, the turnover is more costly. I mean, they're costly in basketball too. But the the change in possessions obviously is different in the sports. The little things, man, with with boxing out or defending or who's your lineup or shot selection, that's what's just so maddening with Nebraska basketball because it's the same thing over. I mean, I'm hoping if it's crunch time, and, man, we spent about 10 minutes on Nebraska basketball this morning. If it's crunch time, I'm hoping Fred starts barking out some plays to run, some sets. Because when Nebraska got a stop and tried to get out in transition, you've got uh, two or three different candidates that are going to try and go make a shot and be the man versus being hot and in the rhythm of an offense and having any history of, of, of hitting some shots. And I think, you know, it was interesting that that Trey was on the bench the final 12 minutes and Verge was on the bench yeah. the final 12 minutes. Yeah, that one was a little puzzling. Um, and you're right. Now, I do like – so, progress, positivity. You, I do like how Bryce does – He's been playing good he ball. He has flipped a little bit of a switch about being more aggressive and taking it to the hole and trying to be more physical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just – you know, when it's so obvious down the stretch that that's all that's going to happen – He's not strong enough, like physically, uh, to get a good shot. You know, when when everybody knows that it's happening, he people can body him up, and he gets put in an awkward position. He throws up something wild; it doesn't go in. But at least the mentality is is there. Where it wasn't there in the beginning of the year. Um, so if that continues on an uptick, you know, then you know Nebraska has a little bit of a better shot because he, you know, he is putting in the points that you would expect a five-star to do. Um, but it doesn't necessarily translate to good end-of-game kind of stuff where you know he's strong enough to get to the hole, absorb a foul, maybe get an and one. Um, he's typically put in a position where he does not have a good shot and he just throws up something wild and Nebraska doesn't score, their drought continues, the other team does, ball game. So you hope maybe that trend can turn around a little bit as he keeps up that aggressiveness. Mark Cranach, Chris Schmidt, Connor Clark, Weekend Edition, Hail Varsity Radio. Uh, we'll hear from Jimmy Burrow, the Burrow experience, the whirlwind season, as the Bengals and Joe in the Super Bowl. Zach Taylor, of course. Cranach, let's switch gears, and let's talk here. Board of Regents going to meet here Friday, the 11th of February, on the uh, idea of, of allowing beer at the Big Ten Wrestling Championships at PBA. 
makes a ton of sense from what Alberts is talking about. Listen, it's an even playing field. All the past uh, venues have had alcohol sales for the Big Ten wrestling. Let's give Lincoln uh, a level playing field and, and allow it. But is this the, the, the slippery slope, dare I say, that gets the discussion about beer sales and alcohol sales at future Nebraska events? That's the discussion point. That's been part of the feedback for, for Alberts when it comes to your Nebraska football experience. Uh, the, the need, is it necessary for alcohol? And listen, um, football's going to be determined and ruled by the product on the field not how cold my beer is in the stands but it'd be nice to have that as an option i'd I'd be really interested in seeing if we can't get uh, those taps that already exist at pba for concerts and hawks field for the salt dogs worked in for baseball and basketball and then worry about tackling football just because the infrastructure. And I want your take on this, Cranach, because you've had season tickets for a few years now, and you're in the newer setup, the newer region on East Stadium. And if if memory serves, you were uh, – we went, I think it was Tommy Armstrong's first start, so that's a 1,000 years ago. But the point of it is, is from where you're at, to where the concessions were at, it was pretty convenient. It wasn't always the case for me growing up to uh, to get a hot dog and a Coca-Cola uh, where we were at on West Stadium. And we were at West Stadium pre-Skybox expansion. This is, you know, from 87 through 97, 98. 98's when the, the, the West Stadium expansion and Skyboxes were built. But... It, it just, and Connor, I need your take too as a student. How easy is it or hard is it to get concessions from where you're at? Cranach, you start, would it be or is it convenient when you take the little ones to get, uh, you know, food and, and drink from where you're at? Yeah, if you can replicate the East Stadium expansion experience to the rest of the stadium. Thank you. It would be a good thing. Uh, it, it just, you know, there, there are more bathrooms there. The concession lines are much shorter. This year was a little bit of a, a outlier just because, you know, labor shortages sure. within concessions, I think, affected everywhere. Um, but, yeah, it's just more convenient, period. It's easy to get in and out. Um, it's, it's, it's easy to, you know, you're not queuing in super long lines in the concourses. Uh, the concessions are just kind of wider bathrooms are bigger it feels like it could accommodate it pretty well um very different experience when you're sitting in south stadium or when you're sitting in north i mean there's nothing there's nothing convenient about sitting in the south Uh, so if you could replicate it yeah i think it's something you could pull off at least logistically connor where are your seats well usually i'm in the student section which is in east stadium more towards mm-hmm. the corner by south but i would say it's pretty easy because all you do is walk down the tunnel and there's bathrooms and concessions right there so that's uh, been super convenient i will say being an out-of-towner one thing that surprised me was how cheap the food is there as well because <laughs> i'm so used to uh, <clears throat> excuse me a, a wrigley field hot dog being about ten dollars so that was a nice surprise 
Yeah, and and that that won't keep if you if you incorporate alcohol sales. Don't you think that thing's going to be about nine fifty or above for a for a beer at Memorial Stadium, keeping with what stadium prices are? Cranek, you've traveled a ton. How many venues have you been to that have had alcohol? Jeez, oh, I mean, pretty much all of them. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, honestly, I can't think of many that don't. Um, Illinois, you know, Norman, Nebraska's, both well, both of sorry. those had them. And I mean, when I was there this year, um, and there's a there's a, there's quite a few Big Ten schools that don't have beer though, which is interesting. Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska, Penn State, Wisconsin, shockingly doesn't have beer or alcohol. They just drink it all before they go in. It's, you know, it's escalating quickly, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's been talked about for a long time. You know, it showed up on the survey. And then here you are a month later where it's like, you know, are you using the wrestling championships as you're in, as your almost test market to force the conversation? I, All in all, I don't think it is necessary I don't, I don't think you're going to make gobs and gobs of cash, especially in comparison to, you know, what you're making with TV rights and, and you know, season ticket donations and all those things. I, it'll be a relative drop in the bucket, but it could fund a program or two, mm-hmm. right? Well, you, it'll you help. Probably clear a million or something like that, I, which nothing to sneeze at, but in, just in terms of what Nebraska makes overall, I don't think it's this incredible cash cow that revolutionizes the program. So I don't, I don't think it's like necessary from that standpoint. Uh, for other programs, you can see how it is where every dollar counts and you, you better find, you know, whatever revenue stream you can. I don't think Nebraska is in that position. So I think it really is about what do the fans expect and prefer. And it's, it's more like an amenity that you will provide them versus a, something that you have to do to survive. And Here's so I, the thing. ultimately I think that's what it'll come down to. It's about modernizing, right? It's about modernizing your football stadium when it comes to infrastructure and being able to, to navigate <laughs> and having convenience where you're at Cranach versus South or North stadium. And it's, it's just about being competitive as well. I mean, there's advertising dollars. There's that third revenue stream. And then a guy who knows his business is Trev Alberts. And Trev has seen, has overseen this before with hockey, with UNO basketball. I mean, he has seen Baxter and he's seen CHI be venues for both of the sports, the major sports that he's kind of helped bring into maturity to Division One level. And it, it just—it's really just kind of a no-brainer to uh, to give the opportunity. I don't worry about Nebraska fans being Wisconsin or Colorado fans. I know there's not all angels, but I'd say more times than not, Nebraska fans can handle themselves. They like to have a beer and hang out and watch good football. Get the good football part fixed. We'll get into that with this signing class and uh, the portal additions. Mark Cranach is in. Chris Schmidt. Connor Clark, as the weekend edition is here, Rewind is next, 
And, uh, man, what a, what a week it was to, to chat with some of the Burroughs. Uh, brother Jamie, uh, proud of his little brother, uh, Joe Burrow. And Jimmy Burrow uh, has a cigar lit. And uh, they are ready to get off to La La Land uh, for Super Bowl 56. Uh, assistant coach uh, with Coach Solich and at Nebraska for a number of years. Jimmy Burrow next. The weekend edition of Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now it's time to get back to the Hale Varsity Radio Show with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. All right, that's it! You two guys leave me no choice. No television for a week. What? Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. What a run for the Cincinnati Bengals. What a run for Joe Burrow. We say hi to uh, Proud Papa and, of course, uh, uh, Husker assistant and, and player uh, a few years back. We say hi to Coach Jimmy Burrow. Coach, uh, how's it been? I mean, I got a hundred <laughs> questions to ask you. Let me say first, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's still uh, a little unreal. It's it's overwhelming at, at times. Uh, uh, some people, including myself, are, are a little surprised. But you know, Joe's confidence is he's probably the least surprised of of anybody he's expected this to happen uh, since the day he got drafted by the Bengals and uh, we're we're just enjoying the ride Uh, his mom Robin and I we've been to that game uh, Sunday was our 20th uh, game that we've got we've been able to go to and we got one more to go you do the Super Bowl is a week from Sunday and and that's that's the big one they're all big but this one's really big and and I want to go back to to Sunday in Arrowhead and tell me about your experience just the the whole the day really I mean we'll end with the cigars yeah. in, in a minute but I want to <laughs> I want to I want to know about just the experience and and the emotion uh, watching that thing. yeah well once upon a time I thought after he played so many games and I'd coached so many games played in so many games I would I just quit being being nervous, but I, I think I'm I'm more nervous uh, now than than I've ever been. So it was just one of those uh, kind of nerve wracking games. Uh, we we started out uh, though that morning with with a tailgate. Of course, we have a lot of family and friends in Nebraska. Very short drive, so they were all there, uh, family and friends from all over. So we we started that. Uh, went went to the game. Uh, amazing game. Uh, Things didn't look good the first half. I'm the defensive coordinator. I was once upon a time, so I'm looking at it going, man, these guys might be unstoppable today. Uh, defensive coordinator made a, made a great uh, uh, change of plans the second half and, and uh, shut those guys down. Joe got rolling uh, with, with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins somewhat, run the ball with Joe Mixon. And uh, uh, afterwards, just uh, unbelievable uh, feeling that, you know, our son was is going to the Super Bowl and the Bengals. More tailgate. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Chase uh, <clears throat> showed up. He's a kind of a cigar smoker, and uh, but my son Jamie from Omaha had had given me one, and I I didn't have it lit yet. And then here's here's uh, Jamar's dad uh, smoking one. He said, "Hey, light that up and let's get a picture." So uh, we've had a good relationship ever since LSU. So just you know, fun fun times and. Uh, Smoking the cigar was was uh, was was a part of that. Jimmy Burrows with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Of course, uh, Joe and Cincinnati off to the Super Bowl. You're probably watching it through different eyes, well, different different 
Ichai, right? Because you've you've got your defensive coordinator hat on all those years at Ohio and Iowa State, and then you're watching it as dad. Uh, and what a what an idea to drop eight into coverage. I mean that that three one yeah. seven was. I no, I've I've seen a lot of Chiefs football, and I've not seen them struggle like that. And I mean, it, and the defense played great. I mean, the offense did their job, yes. But yeah. as a D coordinator, well, you had to appreciate the the adjustment. You know, yeah, Lou Anarumo, he's a friend of mine, has been for a good while. This he just did a, a, an awesome job. You know, they drop eight. Uh, one of those guys, I think, usually probably Sam Hubbard, uh, even though he was dropping in the middle for those short crossing routes where where they just kill people on with uh, yards after the catch and but but sam was also uh, uh spying the quarterback and then those other three just kind of were were kind of keeping keeping the uh, mahomes at, at bay so to speak i mean you don't you're normally not able to do that but they were able to at least keep him in the pocket and then eventually sam would would rush or they'd run him out of bounds because he had to retreat so much but yeah just a great job that that defense has has really uh, been great all year. I mean, there's a few times here and there that they've uh, uh, given up some points, but, uh, you know, Joe would be the first to tell you that the most valuable players on, on, in this particular game was was our defense. Jimmy Burrows with us. Coach, has Joe soaked it in? Have you been able to soak it in and have fun with it, or is it still like, okay, mission's still in front of us, and that's that's the Super Bowl? <laughs> Yeah, I mean he he's always said that that's that's his goal, and and until until he can get that goal, I mean there's there's celebration certainly every week when they win a big one, but uh, he's he's uh, grounded in, in what has to be done these next two weeks. I'm taking care of uh, all the ticket things and and the hotels so that he hasn't he doesn't have to do do that stuff he's kind of in his same routine it's it's weird he wins a big game to go to the super bowl he gets home and uh, the next next day uh he's playing playing video games with his uh his old high school friends like he <laughs> like he normally does so uh that's just joe but uh you know they'll start preparing i think today and and uh but his his focus has has been unbelievable all year and and really uh always ever since he uh Really, he went to LSU, and, and they went on that magical 2019 run. And it helps to have Jamar Chase with him, too, right? Oh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's, oh. let's, spend, let's spend a second on that chemistry because it was magic in the title run in 2019, and then you're able to get Chase where you did in the draft. And you, you know, Joe, and we'll get to the injury in a moment. But I mean, those, that's old hat for those two. And the NFL hadn't seen it. Yeah, and and I mean, there's a lot of hard work that, that sure. went into getting them where they were in 2019 because 2018, the offense struggled somewhat. Uh, that connection wasn't uh, what, what what it eventually got to be in 2019. But uh, I think Jamar, I saw where. Uh, Joe Brady put him catching tennis balls and it was like just thousands of tennis balls that he and uh, Justin Jefferson caught during the course of that summer. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we come out uh, on fire that, that first game and, and really, really never stop uh, speculation. Then uh, after uh, uh, Jamar set out and about the draft that maybe they, the Bengals would go for an offensive lineman, but Joe knew the dynamics and, and how special uh, uh Jamar was that's that's who he he wanted 
uh, he stays out of those decisions. Uh, he he knows that that's not part of his his responsibility and his job. I'm sure they asked him about Jamar, and I'm sure he he said how how awesome he would be. But uh, when we when we drafted uh, Jamar, I just knew that 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 bond uh, would would take hold. He dropped some balls in preseason, but. I don't think anybody really remembers that now. No, so. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, special, uh, awesome receiver. And the thing that Joe always tells me about Jamar is, and he doesn't get enough credit, uh, is he's really smart. So he he understands uh, coverages and, and what they're trying to do to him. He, he actually credits Joe with, with teaching him back at LSU, you know, what to be looking for as they watch film and, and – uh, they just spent a lot of time uh, throwing routes together, and, and it's it's usually pretty obvious that they have been working hard uh, during the course of the game. And people are doing all kind of things to try to try to eliminate Jamar, but eventually you got to cover him one on one, and that's when Joe's able to take advantage of that. Jimmy Burrows with us few minutes. The Super Bowl run for Joe in Cincinnati, Hale Varsity Radio, Heisman, national title, number one draft pick, division winner playoff run super bowl <laughs> i mean that's uh, that's more than a t-shirt that's really uh really special coach and uh it's it's been so much fun to watch and interested here with with joe and his drive and his confidence you touched on a little earlier but also he has been able to come back from injury and a really serious injury and and look the same and i know uh, he's put the work in for that, but even when he's being flustered, his accuracy is incredible. Touch on his his recovery from from the knee, if you can. Yeah. Well, he he went uh, out to California, and, and uh, Dr. Neil Elatrosh was his surgeon. Uh, Aaron Reynolds took over the rehab as a therapist there for uh, a month or so, and just did an awesome job. Uh, then he he moved back to to Cincinnati. Nick Cosgrave's the physical therapist there and and that whole team and, and medical staff uh, really at both locations were unbelievable he has a private uh, uh, strength coach Dak Noterstein who who played for me and coach Solich at uh, uh, Ohio University I recruited him and he was an all he became our strength coach but eventually he he wanted to move over in Cincinnati and and Joe hired him so there was a team and that included uh, you know our, our family to to support joe and be with him along that that way uh, we went to california with him and uh but there was a lot of people involved a lot of hard work uh it, it didn't happen overnight it, it really there was a few uh practices or in that first week that he was a little hesitant to uh, being in the pocket with with bodies around him and and uh but it didn't last long he got back to normal uh as, as far as feel, feeling comfortable but then not until really after the bye week was in his mind able to to do the things you saw him do uh, the other day as far as uh, extending a play and and uh, getting away from the rush and those type things but uh, it's been a process and and i'm sure there's still work to be done in the off season a lot of people say you're not truly 100 percent until that second year so uh, uh but it's it's been phenomenal to to watch the, the progress that he's made and as i said a lot of people deserve the credit Real quick, Coach, touch on the, the connection and fit with Zach Taylor. Of course, the, the Nebraska angle with, with <laughs> Zach. And, and and Zach's always been a just a great offensive mind and, and really talented player himself. But touch on Coach Taylor, if you could. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I, of course, I knew it, him, who he was and everything from Nebraska. My son, Dan, I think was a senior leaving there when uh, when Zach got to Nebraska, mm-hmm. so they knew each other. And then when he became a coach at Cincinnati, we always worked their camps and spent some time mm-hmm. over there uh, with, with their group of coaches. And so I, I got to personally meet him then. And then just phone conversations, uh, I, uh, I wanted to, to, to make sure – uh, you know that that when Joe went over there, that that uh, he knew who Zach was. They got to uh, meet at the combine and and talk. And then you know I had some conversations and really uh, built a great relationship. And and Joe, the good thing about Joe is he he trusts uh, uh, Zach and and uh, Callahan and his quarterback coach uh, Coach Pitch, uh, and they trust him. They give him a lot of responsibility. Uh, he can change the the, the blocking uh, as he sees fit. He, he can change the play. And kind of a funny thing is his headset uh, and his helmet went out uh, a few weeks ago or in the Tennessee game, and he called four plays on his own before they could get it fixed. And and, and Zach uh, reminded him after that that from then on, don't don't just fake like something's wrong so you can call your own uh, play. But uh, it's an unbelievable relationship, and it and it and it uh, just continues to get get stronger. Jimmy Burrow's with us, Coach Burrow, Hale Varsity Radio. Joe and the Bengals off to the Super Bowl. So, you got the suntan lotion ready? It's been frigid in the Midwest. Are you ready for LA? Well, I I, I wouldn't want to be out there with, without a shirt on, no matter what the weather was. So, uh, uh, but any any warmth at this time of year is is positive. Uh, it's going to be a uh, uh, really a special uh, four or five days we're still working on the the whole uh, logistics of, of when we're going what what we're doing where we're staying and uh, uh, I mean it's a it's a process and a big part of, of Joe's preparation is not to, to get distracted mm-hmm. but by all the the things that have to happen and that's why his, his mom and I are are working uh, with the Bengals to to make sure he doesn't have to do all those things so uh, but it's fun blessed to be a part of uh, Joe's journey. Last thought here, Jimmy Burrows with his uh, coach, uh, Nebraska, adding Bill Bush and Mickey Joseph to Coach Frost's staff this year from LSU. And uh, reaction from you, and I know Bill Bush pretty instrumental in in, uh, helping Joe kind of figure out LSU. Yeah, Bill's a a, a good friend, and I I knew him, uh, uh, but but not well to tell, you, to tell you the truth before the recruiting visit and our time at LSU, uh, big big part in in recruiting, uh, not just Joe but recruiting uh, Joe's mom and I to mm-hmm. to feel good about the decision to go to LSU. He's a great recruiter. Uh, he does a really good job about uh, uh, coaching, and uh, I'm sure the the special teams uh, are going to benefit from from Bill being uh, being being involved in that. Uh, so that's a that's a great thing. We've I've talked to Bill. He texts me basically after every every game, and uh, <laughs> uh, we're excited for him. Uh, Mickey uh, got to know him at, at LSU, and I mean, just just look at the the, the people out there in the NFL, uh, Jamar and Justin Jefferson, uh, uh, those those type type guys that, and there's others out there that that he did a great job with, and then and then he was just a. Uh, uh, I think he's one of the best recruiters in the country. Uh, once again, check out who he recruited at LSU. The 
uh, it's documented. It's there's proof in the pudding there, and and uh, I'm sure Scott feels great that that he's able to to add those two guys, and we're excited to for for Nebraska to have them uh, full time coaches now with with uh, with Scott Frost and the Huskers. Coach Burrow, enjoy best to you and your family. Thanks for a few minutes today. All right, thanks thanks a lot, guys. Go Bengals. Now it's time to get back to the Hale Varsity Radio Show with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. All right, that's it! You two guys leave me no choice. No television for a week. What? Back with you, it's Hale Varsity Weekend, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. You can stream us, ESPNLincoln.com, and do the podcast, Hale Varsity Radio, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Give us a rating, good, bad, or ugly. We'll take the feedback. We'll wind down this first hour. Brandon Vogel coming up here shortly after 8. And then the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp, will join us. And uh, plenty uh, into already this morning uh, with Nebraska basketball trying to get that dub today at at, uh, PBA. And Nebraska football will have uh, plenty of eyes on it. JoJo Doman. And uh, Cam Taylor Britt uh, participating today down in Mobile. And Cranach, you, you know, you look at the, the, the Senior Bowl and uh, Samari Toure put on quite a showcase. Five catches, 30-plus yards, two big-time touchdowns, showed off his downfield blocking. And that was pretty cool for him as he tries to improve his draft stock. Right now, some of the research tells me that You've got grades that exist for Doman and Cam Taylor Britt anywhere between that third and fifth round. Uh, they could raise their stock. They've already raised their stock with a lot of scouts on social media. Really impressed with JoJo calling him the unicorn because of how well he's performed in some of the drills uh, at, at linebacker, but also his coverage and ball skills, what he's done. We were talking a little bit about this yesterday just how uh, how impactful a defender JoJo's been, and he's been one of the best defenders Nebraska's had. I mean, he's up there uh, with his ability to tackle in space, to cover, and to, to be kind of a ball hawk. And he had an extended career here, came back from two ACLs, but he's been as good as Nebraska's had for a while. I think of a guy like Nate Gary. I think of a guy like Mike Brown. I know that's high praise with the Mike Brown take, but JoJo, to me, has been one of Nebraska's more sure tacklers. And, you know, what what, what his ex- exclamation point was this year was playing one-handed against Ohio State, how awesome he was against that elite skill level on offense across the line from him. Cam Taylor Britt chipped the tooth, didn't matter. He's still blowing dudes up on the line of scrimmage on those bubble screens even down in front of the NFL scouts. I think both these kids will do well and uh, perform at a high level. It speaks to what Nebraska's had in the secondary. And honestly, you look at the talent level Nebraska's had with guys like Juergens and Allen and uh, Stilly as well. Stilly had a good good camp uh, leading into Thursday, Thursday night's bowl game. And so... You could see a lot of Nebraska guys either go off the board at some point this 2022 draft or uh, another crop of you know preferred free agents that find some time in the NFL. But JoJo's been awesome to watch. 
Yeah, and Senior Bowl at one thirty today, which is actually perfect timing because the basketball game's at noon, which means the team will start falling apart right around one thirty. <laughs> um, so you just flip it over and, and watch the Senior Bowl and watch JoJo and and Cam. And you're right, JoJo is just tailor made for the modern game. It's flex. It's all about flexibility. Tight ends aren't really tight ends anymore. They are sometimes, but more often than not, they're split out. Linebackers are really hybrid safeties in in many cases now because teams are sending out four or five uh, people on routes regularly. So you have to be able to to cover in space, and he's able to do that. And then he's you know he had that tag even coming in to college. It's not like he just developed it, but the tag that he had coming into college. One reason why he was a big recruit was because of his versatility and his instincts. And we saw that time after time. You know, there's there's a game that uh, the Northwestern game mm-hmm. that gets on uh, played on DVR quite a bit by my little boy uh, because it's the only one we have on tape against a Power Five. That's there's a W. No, there's um, no tears. Yeah, so he likes to, he likes to watch that one. But you know, JoJo had a few where you know he's covering in the slot, disguising that coverage perfectly. Um, Chinander dials up uh, uh, the ability for him to blitz, but the way he sells it. It's, it's so good. I mean, it's so good. He looks like he's covering in the slot. Everybody thinks that's what he's doing, and then he's just a missile on the way to the quarterback and makes the tackle. Sure tackler. He's right in that 225 range, so outside of maybe Derrick Henry, there's not too many tailbacks that he can't meet in the hole. Um, not many tight ends and slot receivers that he can't cover. I, th- I think he's got he's got a nice future as long as he can stay healthy. And then Cam Taylor Britt, I think the biggest thing he has going for him is just his level of physicality mm-hmm. as a corner. I mean, he's as physical of a corner as Nebraska maybe has ever had. He's missed some tackles. He's blown a couple coverages. He did that kind of weird throw the ball out of the end zone thing as a punt returner. So, like, sometimes you wonder where his head's at, uh, but you never question his toughness. You never question if he's going to bail on contact like Nebraska has had a few members of their secondary in recent years do. <laughs> he's not going to do that. In the NFL, that is just a baseline requirement. And so he meets that. Athletically, he's good. Uh, if he can keep getting some good specific corner training, because he was never a corner. Let's keep that in mind, too. He was learning the position when he came to Nebraska. He was a quarterback in high school. So he's got a little bit more... Uh, seasoning i guess to play the position properly but athletically physically he's there he uh did a money just a money job uh back in the covid year uh dn up some of the big ten's best wide receivers in his first full year at corner and then really the michigan game he flipped the script and played great football the second half of the season with all the uh, the talent nebraska faced when you look at ohio state when you look at the Michigan wideouts, I mean, it was it was pretty big time for, for Cam Taylor Britt. So they'll be on. We'll wind down this hour and uh, get it ready for Brandon Vogel in about 10 minutes, hour two, on the way with the weekend edition of Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts. Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. 
Welcome to it. It's Hour 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio Weekend, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Raynack, Connor Clark with us this morning. And uh, big things to discuss in Hour 2. We'll spend some time here with the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp, around 8.30. And kicking us off in the 8 o'clock hour, Brandon Vogel joins us, managing editor with HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. You can find Brandon on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel. And uh, as always, uh, the book you need to get, Dream Like a Champion with John Cook and Brandon Vogel. Vogues, do we have uh, hash browns going this morning? Some uh, some bacon, eggs, What are you, uh, biscuits and gravy? What's Junior going to get? Junior's going to get some sort of fruit puree. Uh, to be determined at this point. Um, I have not made myself breakfast yet, but I did set out some bacon last night, so that's in the plan. That's pretty good. Uh, Connor, take ESPN out of uh, either audition or utility or something along that way. Hopefully that's a little bit better connection. But So, uh, so f- fruit puree is, is the route. I know what you're thinking here. If you were to uh, to tell me what Nebraska's 2022 recruiting class resembled as a breast breakfast menu item, it would be what? Um. Well, real. Let's see. I think it's a pretty solid scrambled eggs and bacon with you know maybe some wheat toast. It's it's nothing fancy or extravagant. It's it's not eggs Benedict or. <laughs> you know, anything fancier than that. It's it's kind of your your daily driver, perhaps, if you you know, or the sort of person that stops in breakfast every morning. So I think they did a pretty good job given the, the limitations that they had just numbers wise. And then of course you have this whole other uh second secret menu, aka the transfer portal where you can make selections <laughs> as well and you know, Nebraska did, did good work, I think, there for the most part in, in looking for some immediate help. So, you know, this is a sort of class with, with numbers where if if they can get, you know, this coaching staff can kind of take the jump and get things turned around and be on more solid footing uh, by the time we get to the end of 2022, uh, you're okay with it. Like, you, you can deal with a small class. It's where those small classes happen to line, line up, you know, long-term with potential transition points that I think they become – they have the potential to hurt you. Um, so, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where Nebraska ends up. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio as we talk Nebraska and recruiting and transfer portal after the – relatively lackluster signing day in February, not for Nebraska's part, just overall. It's just not as big of a deal as it used to be. But Nebraska does get a couple of surprises on that day, a couple of new guys who weren't necessarily on the radar, including a receiver out of Georgia. Um, l- looking at receiver in particular, would you say that's the one position, or I, I guess which positions would you say will have the – biggest amount of change and the most amount of options for Nebraska, considering what they did in both the portal and in the traditional recruiting classes. Yeah, it probably, it probably is receiver for, for me and, you know, running back, they've they've got a couple of, well, they got three new options there. So, so that one has some potential too. um, but with receiver, with the mix of guys that you you have, I think so. 
your top two receivers in cartage are gone, and that includes tight end Austin Allen. Um, so you've got that to replace, uh, and you've got a couple of leading candidates coming back uh, in Omar Manning and Xavier Betts. Uh, then you've got the transfer wave, you know, guys like Palmer are coming in and Garcia Castaneda, um, you know, I think is, is definitely going to be a part of Nebraska, Nebraska's plans. Um, well, it's part of their plans now, but part of their production by the time we get to fall of next year. You've got this freshman class with guys like Latrell Neville, so last year's signing class, um, who's a player I liked a lot coming out of high school that, that had a chance. And, you know, even beyond that, there's kind of a sophomore group with like Will Nixon and, and guys who haven't had a chance to, to make a big impact. And then you get some more receivers in, in this 2022 class, Victor Jones Jr. is one of their longest commits. Um, and I feel pretty good about him. And then the signing day surprise to a degree, you know, the fact that Nebraska, I think kept that as quiet as they did was an indication of, of how high they are on him. So you've got a bunch of moving pieces there. You've got a new coach in, in Terry Joseph, and you're also going to have a quarterback competition that, you know, I think we all just kind of look at it and say, well, Casey Thompson's played the most football, thus he's the favorite to win that. Uh, and he's a little bit, well, maybe more than a little bit, he's kind of a pass-first guy. So we'll see where this offense goes. But I think you have probably four or five candidates at wide receiver um, who are going to end up being being a large part of Nebraska's offense that we haven't seen a ton from at this point. Vogues, if you were to peg a identity on Nebraska's 2022 offense, would you go pass first? Would you still go percentage-wise run first like Frost has been? Or would you go in the middle and say balance, and I say balance because of Whipple's passing attempts at Pitt and rushing attempts, they're nearly uh, at a one-to-one ratio. What, what do you think Nebraska's uh, offense will, will look like? And I know that's a loaded get-your-crystal-ball-out question, but if you had to, to hedge your bet, what's what's the, the direction? Pass first, run first, or just both, the, the balance card? Ideally, you want balance. But uh, in some, some key situational football moments, third down, uh, Nebraska's faith level was really just at the quarterback keeping the ball and figuring out something with his feet if it was third and short or, 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 or a running down. And uh, there wasn't as much faith in the O-line to, to make it a, a running back run. Yeah, at, at this point, I would, I would place my bet on – balance um i view kind of if they were to go a little bit pass heavy you know say 55 percent pass which would be a pretty big departure from where they've been um if they would do that it's probably an indication that casey thompson or one of the other quarterbacks you know took to whatever whipple wants to do on paper theoretically and maybe more of that playbook is available to them right away um, so they could have consistent success. And that would also indicate, I think, you know, some of those wide receivers we just talked about coming along and emerging as pretty good and consistent threats. So pass first might be kind of, 
it has the highest upside, but also the most uncertainty for me at this point. And then when I look at Nebraska's returning production, particularly the experience on the offensive line, now we all know that the offensive line did not go well for Nebraska last year, but it's still your most experienced unit on offense as a whole in terms of snaps played. Uh, I think I, I look at 2022 and say, if Nebraska's going to be good, they're going to have to figure out a way to run the ball. Case for the last three seasons, really, um, when you, you look at it, and, or at least I look at it and say, this is their best path forward, but they just haven't been able to consistently hand the ball off and run it and get that piece of it going. And I think that's a large part of the reason why the record is what it is since 2018. Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Hey, switching gears to Memorial Stadium, somewhat quietly without a ton of fanfare or surprisingly not a ton of backlash that I've heard, um, Trev Alberts announces that this year they are looking at, or not looking at, they're going to implement um, reducing capacity in the end zones in Memorial Stadium. Uh, in some cases, you know, going from 18 inches per seat up to about 20 to 21 inches per seat uh, to relieve some of that congestion. That will obviously reduce the capacity. I've been trying to figure out the math and how you would figure out exactly how many seats we're talking about. Have you been able to look into that much? Are we looking at an overall reduction of somewhere between like six and 10,000? Or do you think that's maybe too aggressive? That might be a little bit high. I haven't, I haven't looked at it yet. I guess later today, Mark, if you're not busy, we can pull up Google Maps and you know, start measuring those, those, those benches and pencil it out, which actually sounds like a pretty good Saturday to me. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm thinking maybe, maybe in the 5,000 range seems about right, but you're right. It's, it's been kind of quiet. And, and I think that's, you know, a, an accurate reflection of just kind of modern day college football, but also Nebraska's place in it. I mean, if you're, if you're Trev Alberts, it kind of, it, it looks to me like a win-win. So, you know, hopefully Nebraska football and Nebraska football, you know, we've, we've seen a little bit of <laughs> decreased demand just as the program has been on hard times recently, but you know, you still fill that thing up every Saturday things get rolling again, you, one, you can create a little bit more demand by reducing supply. Uh, but two, you also just create a better experience for the fans, which I think, so yeah, reduce, reduce capacity, yes. You know, people, some people probably will take note of that and say, well, that's, that's too bad. But really from, from a business perspective or Trev Albert's perspective, I think it offers pretty much only upside. Vogues, I want to get your take here with football and a uh, really good series Steve Marek is doing. Uh, Steve, uh, with Hale Varsity, the, uh, the topic is making the jump. The latest uh, story is on Jacquez Yant and already profiled Xavier Betts, Ty Robinson. One name, one player, in your opinion, that's gotta gotta be that dude that's that's hovering around all conference first or second team. I mean, first team would be great, but second or third team that's been a contributor may have even been a starter, but now there's some experience under their belt as knowing what what needs to happen 
in the uh, trench warfare of Big Ten football. Who's your guy? Who's your guy for 2022 that's got to, that has to emerge for this team to, to be bowling? Probably Turner Corcoran. Um, and, you know, he's, he's an interesting one in that I think he has the, the highest potential of that group. Obviously, you know, you'd take any breakout season, I think, on, on Nebraska's offensive line from anyone. But Corcoran is the one who, in my mind, has the greatest opportunity to kind of advance to, to that all level. Um, Unfortunately, we know now he's not going to be part of spring drills, but got a ton of experience. We'll see where on the offensive line he'll end up. You know, Frost said this week he's a guy that really they think could play any of the five spots. So what's the best spot for him, and where is he ready to pick up off of the, the 2021 season? You know, but back in, I think it was August, we did a, a podcast roundtable just amongst staff, and, and one of the questions, who's the player who's going to tell you how Nebraska's season is going. And I chose Corcoran for that because it was a tough ask. You know, he's a talented guy, um, really high upside, but he was still a redshirt freshman and he was going to get thrown into the mix. And here you go. You're, you're uh, a left tackle in, in the big 10. And Oh, by the way, um, you're just going to kind of face this murderer's row of edge rushers that Nebraska had with the way the schedule broke out. So, you know, I, I don't know if that was the right pick then or not, but we certainly saw struggles on the offensive line, and I think you can kind of transfer that to uh, 2022 as well. Uh, so Corcoran would be the, the first pick for me because that, that offensive line has to get better overall, um, and having one guy kind of emerge as the centerpiece or the quote-unquote star of that group would certainly help. Real quick, you know, folks, Scott, uh, you're right about the murderer's row. Ohio State, Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan State, Michigan. Michigan's going to have two first-round edge guys, uh, Carl Loftus and Purdue. I mean, it was a bad year to be a redshirt tackle or edge offensive player. And you, you recruit kids like Turner and Ben Hart and you know pick some of the tackles. And you just you, you want to season him as much as possible. You want him to develop in the off season. You throw COVID in there. We kind of all. I mean, I was guilty of just running with. All right, Turner's going to be fine. He'll be good based on one really good night in Piscataway. And then you're throwing guys that are truly either freshmen, redshirt freshmen, or even redshirt sophomores. We all grew up with the Zadiskas of the world, or the Wigerts, and they may have played early, but early for them was, was you know, redshirt sophomore season, right? Or even a redshirt junior season, and you, and you just kind of had the reload waiting behind them with uh, guys that got 2,000 reps before they were asked to start, and even, even before that, that starting season, Nebraska's up by 35 in the second half, and guess what? You're playing the second half, so there you go. And I, I, you go get talent to to play, but it's really a, a risky proposition to expect such young talent to be able to make it. And, and you saw this with Clemson too this year. I mean, look how young their old line was. They went 10 and three, but the reason they struggled is because their 
O-line had to have kind of a rebuild season. So I don't think we truly know just what the ceiling is for, for Turner because you, you miss spring. I shouldn't say spring, but you miss a, a part of fall last year due to injury. And then you're back into it with really one start under your belt. Has, has Turner gotten a fair shake? Yeah, that's 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 a fair question, and I mean, to the to the group of guys you mentioned, you can also throw in Oklahoma. We're watching Senior Bowl practices this week, and I think there was a moment where there, I saw three Sooner helmets amongst the uh, yes. front seven of defense. <laughs> Nick Benito, Perry, and Winfrey. You know, I mean, it really was a unique kind of collection of hey, here's some guys coming off the edge, and that there were really very few weeks off. So have we, I mean, we, we saw a lot of, of, of Turner. And I think for me, the, the thing is, is like that past has to matter. It was difficult. Didn't go the way, you know, anywhere close to kind of the ideal circumstances, much, much less, you know, just one where you're like, yeah, it was tough at times. He looked young, but he held his own. Um, so that has to matter. And, you know, it'll be interesting because we all kind of came away based on a limited look at Teddy Prohaska feeling pretty good about that too while we're kind of in the same boat there again because we're talking about really one and a half games so it, you know experience matters on on the offensive line Steve Martin did a good story a couple of weeks ago about that just looking at who makes all conference teams uh, at the power five level on the O-line and, and as you'd expect you know it's basically juniors and seniors and you get to the wide receiver running back quarterback you start mixing it in sophomores, in some cases, redshirt freshmen. So it's just a spot where being old or experienced matters a lot. Speaking of edge rushers, another thing that came out this week during the uh, recruiting press conference that Scott Frost kind of slipped in there is the recognition and the declaration that Nebraska is basically not going to try to recruit to or run out a four th- or a 3-4 defense and have effectively transitioned into a 4-3. I mean, we all saw it where you had Caleb Tanner and Garrett Nelson on the edges, and they weren't out in coverage very much, if at all. Um, And then you had two big guys in the middle. And then you would have your two, quote, middle linebackers, which were really more like a Mike and a Sam. And then you would have a nickel. So you essentially have a 4-3. Do you think that's just a recognition of what we've talked about and what you've written about extensively, Brandon, where it is just really hard to acquire competent big guys, defensive tackle types that could flex out as a 290-pound end in a 3-4 alignment, and the difficulty in finding those unicorn 250-pound outside linebackers that that can effectively play the position uh, required of them in a 3-4. Do you think it's just really kind of the recruiting realities that have led them to abandon that initial strategy of what they wanted to do defensively? Yeah, I would think so. Um, And that is, you know, the majority of the explanation there, I would count that as a very good sign because you, you gotta, you know, you have your plans and you come in and you get a few years into it and you realize, well, man, we're really struggling to do this or to acquire these type of players. We got to make a change. And, you know, we, you know, all of these defenses may be labeled as a 3-4, 4-3, and they all flex and do different things. And we really saw that with, with Nebraska over the past well, year, but even a little bit into to 2020. So 
you know, the, the 3-4, it just presents challenges in that way, you know, in, in addition to getting those those versatile guys who can maybe play on the interior or on the edge. Um, you're looking for those those pure pass rushers off the edge too, but also, you know, with you really see it this year with just losing a guy like, like Damian Daniels and you feel pretty good about Nash Hupmacher, but it's tough to find those traditional nose tackles too. The guys that, you know, just the giant guys that you see uh, playing in the NFL. So it's, it's tough. You know, I think the versatility of three, four offers uh, is enticing, but at some point you got to kind of realize where you're at and what you're able to get. And, you know, getting talent on the defensive line has always been a struggle uh, for teams that are really outside of the South. Brandon Vogel with us. Vogues, have yourself a good weekend. Fire up that uh, fruit puree for Junior. And uh, we'll do this again next week. Enjoy your, your weekend, and thanks for the time today. Now it's time to get back to the Hale Varsity Radio Show with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. All right, that's it! You two guys leave me no choice. No television for a week. What?! So I just got a, the update from Vogues. Uh, his little guy, Junior, uh, was able to conk out in the uh, the high chair and uh, and not disrupt the past interview. Uh, Vogel said there's an extra helping of slop for him this morning. <laughs> uh, great to be with you on the weekend edition. Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Crane, and Connor Clark in. We say hi to the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. Sharpie, thanks for the time, man. How are you going? You going money line in the Huskers today? Uh, you know what? This might be the day. This uh, this might be the day that NU beats uh, NU. And boy, do they uh, need it in a big way. But I think Nebraska gets it done today against Northwestern. Well, you're getting Nebraska. You're getting uh, home points, about four and a half. And the money line looks pretty juicy as well. Sharpie, I want to get into your uh, connection with Trev Alberts and and talk beer and, and booze with the stadium as uh, the, the regents will discuss February 11th. Uh, you've been close and part of the UNO program for a number of years, and Trev really did uh, an amazing job there when you look at hockey and, and how basketball's gone D1. What, what is your gauge or feel on on trev's attitude with alcohol because the sports i just named have had alcohol correct me if i'm wrong but for quite a while they implemented that they got the approval to to have it at their locations either at baxter or chi and it it hasn't seemed like it's been a problem no and they've also got it at their uh, baseball and softball i think trev looked at it as as this i don't think anybody that operates in the sports entertainment business that is making the decision on alcohol it can be very financially a good windfall i mean is it going to be a game changer for nebraska athletics no but it's additional revenue and you know there's some people that will say to you hey if you served alcohol i'll come to your event or they say why do you stay home well i can stay at home and sit in my man cave and i can drink a few pops and and that kind of stuff And, and and trev is one of those guys that i think listens to his clients and the clients are the fans and what do they want and this is also another piece of uh, additional revenue you know Creighton has hadn't had any problems Omaha hasn't had any problems you know that Nebraska if this is implemented the only problems that I could see is there's some logistics about 
some facilities like the Memorial Stadium, not CBA or Haymarket, that are not built for selling alcohol. So they'll have to work around that so they don't have the kind of the circus that they had at the Garth Brooks concert. But I'm not surprised by this. I, I think this wasn't like on the agenda for Trev. But I think when he's looking for revenue and he's listening to fans and they say, hey, we would like that as an added element to our experience at Memorial Stadium and other Husker events, I think he said, let's see if we can do this. And, you know, this is quite the step. I mean, you go back even before Trev was hired. Oh, no, as long as Tom Osborne is alive, we can't. We're not going to have alcohol. Well, things change. We've all changed. And I think this is a, a move in the right direction for Nebraska. Well, and it would be made easier to distribute that beer if there are fewer human beings to serve. And Trev announced that this week, that the Memorial Stadium is going to reduce in capacity. Are, are you surprised that it's happening this quickly? Because he's talking about this fall, they're going to be looking at the north and south end zones, and they're going to be expanding the seats. And I just did some quick back-of-the-napkin math. You have 62 <laughs> sections in the end zones. Some of them are you know, don't don't have a lot of seats because they're, like, triangular. Um, and you have roughly about 198 rows, if I'm not mistaken. You remove two seats out of that, um, two to three seats out of that, you're looking at reducing capacity anywhere between, like, four and 6,000. Um, are you surprised that it's happening that quickly? Not really, because I think Trev took over and he's got a sense of urgency. You know, he dug, he, he dug right away into things that have ailed Nebraska, and I think he's, he's thinking down the road. I mean, he wants to move projects forward very, very quick. You know, Nebraska is one of those schools that when everybody else was kind of staying status quo or not making big jumps with their capacity increase, Nebraska went big. I mean, Nebraska went from 76000 to 89000 And at the time, you know, there was a more of a demand, and HD television wasn't as prevalent, and you know, football was a little bit better. And so I think he's now saying, you know what, we probably learned, and we got to take care of our fans. Because he's also looking at the big picture down the road, not 23, 24. He's looking at 33, 34 of getting people to come back into Memorial Stadium where it is not a hassle. The experience is, and I was squished the whole time. I had trouble getting in and out of the stadium, either walking into it or in my car. I, I love what he's doing. I-, I love the survey. I know we all filled it out. We looked at it when everybody shared their ideas. I think it says a lot about Trev and his role that he's listening. He's listening as a fan. He's listening as an athletic director. And I think he's listening as a business person that knows that Nebraska football and the experience in that stadium has got to remain top-notch to get people in there because he's one of the rare athletic directors of late that looked at it and said, you know what, we just can't bank on good football bringing people in. We've got to create the experience and make it comfortable for our fans in a facility that is about 100 years old how do we do that? And I like what they've, you know, the things they've discussed over the last three and a half months or so. That's a slap in the face and a stark reality that the product itself is not reason enough to show up because it's been declining. It's been on a, on a downward trend and you've had coaching changes and staff changes and, you know, you're a decade into this new league and you're still trying to to be better and, and be elite in this league now that you haven't won, but you're you're really I mean think about this man your your basketball programs winless in conference play your football program was one in eight in conference play and uh, yeah I mean it it's <laughs> Trev's trying to figure out how to how to keep folks 
at least, I mean, the, the fan base is diehard and, and they love football. They love basketball. But it, it was tough to watch uh, the way it went down. Uh, great effort, but, but didn't close. Then now you've got that next generation. I mean, Cranach has been a season ticket holder, Sharpie. I don't know if you have seats or not, but um, the, the point is this. I mean, folks are actually considering, Gary, you know, do I want to go on Saturday or do I want to go to basketball? Now, once you have a winning season and it flips – Things should get back to normal, but right now there's a question mark. Well, I, I think it's the return on investment of the fan. The yeah. fan has changed a little bit. You know, the the age of who's coming to your games and who's not coming to your games and why they don't come to your games. And this isn't just a Nebraska thing. This is all across the board of college athletics. Of how do you get even some places that are winning, they're not filling their stadiums. How do you get people to put butts in seats? You know, what is the experience you have to give them? And it's kind of like college athletics for the longest time has taken for granted that, oh, it's just dear old blank you. They're going to come support it. And people looked at their bottom line and said, man, am I getting a return on my investment? And I've got so many other things that I can spend my money on. Why do I continue to spend lots of money on my season tickets and the experience? And colleges are saying, okay, we got to give fans essentially what they're giving the fan experience in minor league baseball and, and Major League Baseball and some of the professional leagues, and, and I'm okay with it. And this is, this is a good thing for Nebraska. I know people will debate about alcohol, but the, the, the mere premise that Nebraska is moving forward in the experience and making sure that that stadium still is upright and is welcoming people 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the road, regardless of what's going on in the field, I think is a positive sign for moving Nebraska forward, and it creates a lot of excitement, and that's a good thing right now when you can't create a lot of excitement on the, on the football field or on the basketball court. Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio as we talk Nebraska and upgrades to Memorial Stadium, changes to Memorial Stadium, changes to the team overall with signing day now behind us. Um, you know, Gary, re- recruiting and, and talent acquisition and just – Rosters in general in college, it's it's so transient now. Um, do you feel like maybe there's more of a recognition by Coach Frost and um, the staff overall? Like, look, loyalty is good. You want to be loyal to the players that you bring in. But it you almost can't have that be your number one thing now. You can't count on any single human being you bring in sticking around. And because of that, you have to really aggressively push for <laughs> as much talent as you could get at every position, regardless of if it's going to hurt somebody's feelings that's already on the roster. Do, do you feel like they're recruiting in that way now? And I'm saying that in the context of, for instance, not bringing in a Joe Burrow because it might have upset Adrian Martinez back in the day. Well, I, I think the whole thing now is they're assessing the roster. You know, the, the advantage of having some new faces that are joining you is they're coming from places that play pretty good football and they can assess what's on your roster and go yeah that guy is not a big 10 guy what what was the evaluation process when we decided to offer him a scholarship and bring him on campus uh you know it's a two-way street now you know yeah you are loyal and you're glad that someone is on your campus and part is your part of your team but you always Nebraska needs to follow through and one thing that has been mentioned like from day one we're going to recruit over you. You know, when you're on campus, 
we're going to want you to come and spend some time at junior days as a current member of the Nebraska football team in a room where there's three guys in that room that might be better than you and we're recruiting them over you. You know, so it drives competition. And I don't think people should get their feelings upset because it's turned into a bottom-line business. You need productivity. You need guys to develop. You need guys to be successful. And you want guys to be successful. And I also think you'll start to see, especially at Nebraska, because this has to happen, you can't have guys that are just hanging around getting gear. They get all the Adidas <laughs> gear and show up in some movies and things like that and get to run on the field. I think you want productivity. And I think we'll start to see that. We always talk about processing the roster. Well, as you pointed out, Mark, it is kind of a two-way street. There are options now for players that are unhappy or they would like to play more. They can go somewhere else. And then there's options for the team that loses that player to bring another player in. So it's in the cycle we're in right now. But it's so important, 24-7, 365, really to be churning your roster, coaching up your current roster, developing your current roster, and seeing who else's roster may have somebody leaving that you could add to yours. It, it's turned into NFL free agency year-round in college football. Not everybody's comfortable with it, but you look. The buzz for Nebraska was much better in two months than it was leading up to the signing of the class of 2022, and the portal was a big reason. Gary Sharps with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Sharpie, I want to go back to, to that roster assessment, that, that talent evaluation, and you nailed the point of some new eyes on on uh, the the current roster or potential gets for additions to the roster do you have a, a an explanation do you have a theory as to why it it just didn't work out or some reason behind the attrition with uh with Nebraska the past 4 years did they just miss on their assessment or is it not their fault. They've not been in, in, a, in a Power 5 league. I mean, what's your take on it? Well, I think there's a little bit of everything. A couple of things you pointed out, Schmitty. You know, the COVID year did not do Nebraska well, especially with some players that if it's not a COVID year and it's a normal year where you're doing all the normal college things and you're doing all the normal college football player things, maybe you think about, okay, I'm going to stick around for one more year. Uh, I think they've, they've misevaluated some players. You know, uh, whether they be talented enough to play in the Big Ten, or let's be honest here, I don't care about hurting feelings. There are some guys that have terrible football IQ. And sometimes in the recruiting process, you can't get that when you're sitting down with them, when you're recruiting them. But then when you get them on campus and you put them in a position group room and you're feeding them information and you're asking them to feed it back to you, and they can't repeat a simple, if we, if we, what's the fire word for blank that we get into this kind of coverage and they don't know what it is, well, you can't put them on the field. So it's a collection of a lot of things. But I I think the evaluation before you ever give a scholarship to someone is pretty key. And then how you pursue them. Are they good enough to play in the Big Ten? And are they good enough to be right with the mix of your top talent on, on, on the field? And I think that's where a guy like Mickey Joseph comes in. I mean, Mickey knows what good football players look like. It's not like Scott Frost doesn't, but it needs somebody with a different perspective to say, hey, are we trying to win the West? Are we trying to win the Big Ten? What are we doing here, and what kind of athletes do we need? And I think you saw a little course correction in the back end of guys that were put into the 22 class, you know, the kind of different game-changing skill player that Nebraska feels like they need. Now, it would be nice to have more offensive linemen and defensive linemen, but the skill guys, I think, shows you, what Nebraska thinks of their skill guys on campus and where they're going with those positions. 
Gary Sharp with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Um, the other announcements this week is um, it's a little bit more of a formality, but it does have it does have implications on how you recruit and who you recruit. But Nebraska's abandoning the three four essentially. They you know that's what Chenander and Frost came in with was a three four alignment that puts such a premium on really hard to find and hard to recruit outside linebackers, and then you have to get three big bodies, including a huge body in the middle. Um, it's it's just tougher to recruit to, period. Do you like that move? Do you like the fact that they're just going to more of a 4-3 or – I mean, honestly, it's really more of a base yeah. nickel package anymore, isn't it? Yes, and I, and I like it. And you know, we've seen it uh, – how many times – and you know, Nebraska's played a 3-4 uh, here the last few years, but there's a lot of times where you look at it and go, well, is this kind of a 4-4? Or sometimes they morph into a 4-3. And saying it publicly, it's kind of interesting. But I think you're right, Mark. In, in terms of recruiting, in the, in the kind of players that you need to be dominant in the 3-4, does Nebraska have the ability to attract those? Well, probably not. But when they look at their current roster and they look at what they're able to attract and say, you know, it's 3 fours night for us. We can still play elements of it, but what about that 4-3 or that 4-4 or whatever we're going to do? And I like that move because what it shows me is these guys have done a lot of self-scouting in the offseason. I mean, I can't imagine the conversations that go on with guys that are still on the staff or are joining the staff, and they go, man, what happened last year? But it's a good time to say, you know what? We look at our competition in our own division. This is what we got to do to be successful. We can't have Minnesota and Iowa and Wisconsin continually ram it down our throats. We don't have the personnel, and we're not putting our guys in a good position because they're just getting crushed playing this defense. How do we put together a defense that accentuates our strength and also helps us when we go into our biggest matchups in our own division? Sharpie, you to switch gears before we say goodbye. Uh, a thought on Tom Brady. Does he stay retired? Is this his call? Is this Mama Bear's call? And not to pour salt in the wound, but how did you take Sunday? Uh, well, Sunday was rough. Uh, it, you know, you don't usually see Patrick Mahomes go from, you know, Superman to he can't find his cape. Uh, but kudos to the, the Bengals. Um, you know, I, I'm, they won despite Zach Taylor. I, I, it's great that Zach Taylor is a former Huskers in the Super Bowl, but Zach Taylor hit the lottery ticket with Joe Burrow and they overcome a lot of coaching, head-scratching things that Zach Taylor does. But it's cool Stanley Morgan is in the Super Bowl. You know, Troy Walter's got a lot of uh, uh, face time, and good for him. He's kind of resurrected his career. Um, but, I, you know, I, I like the Bengals. I like the Rams. I think it'll be a unique Super Bowl. Uh, but it's, it's taken it, – it's still – it's Sunday – or it's Saturday, and that was Sunday. It's still taking a little bit to get over what happened at Arrowhead. Um, Tom Brady stays retired. I mean, how, how great is it for a guy to go out on top like that? At the age of 44, he still is right at the top of the quarterbacks in this league. And I think, you know, all of us have families. We understand the pull. I just wonder, you know, it, it's tough to be competitive when you're walking down the aisle of a Publix when you've been retired compared to you're out there competing with your mates. So we'll see what that does to him. But I think he stays retired, and it leads to a quite a 2027 trip to Canton because you could have Brady, Big Ben, Gronkowski, and Adrian Peterson all there on the same day. 
Don't kid yourself. Adrian's still going to be carrying the ball. <laughs> At some point, the man has to retire. I mean, you can't play for every team in the NFL. He's working on it. I mean, he he isn't – AP is incredible. I mean, we watched him against Nebraska a thousand years ago. He, he comes back after a brutal knee injury and runs for two grand. Oh, and, and he's still – in incredible shape he's just it, it's it's nuts I, he'll play till he's 40 if he wants if someone will take him um, I, I think he should retire and go in with brady and big ben i think you're probably right but ap's gonna be like yeah we'll take another million dollar check or whatever <laughs> yeah, it is. whoever will uh, sign the paycheck i am uh, running back for hire yeah sharpie before we go what what do you got coming this weekend you, you got ball this week today or tomorrow boys we are in the Hoth. I am in oh. Grand Forks, North Dakota, where yesterday, two days ago, I was in Fargo. And when you wake up in the morning and you turn on the local news and you've got this bubbly meteorologist on your screen and they're telling you that the sun is out and they're standing in front of the graphic that shows you what the temperature is, that's not good. Uh, it was minus 51 with the wind chill in Grand Forks yesterday. I continue to ask myself, how in the hell do people live up here during the winter? I'm sure it's beautiful during the summer, but during the winter, I don't know what you would do because it is so cold outside that they get excited when it's three degrees right now. And, hey, it's going to warm up. It's going to be 14 before the day is over. But we've only, uh, since we've been in North Dakota, the temp has been above uh, zero, I think, for four hours. Jeez. You're right about Hoth. This time of year up there, uh, at least you're in, in Grand Forks and Fargo, though. Uh, my North Dakota tour in 02 was not uh, the metropolis. <laughs> <laughs> well, stay warm. Stay the hell out of the, the minus 51 and go find a casino. <laughs> Thank you, boys. Thanks. Take care, Sharpie. There he is. That is all about Hoth. Let me. We, I get a vision. Don't know about you, Cranack, but it's it's straight up Empire Strikes Back, and here comes the snow beast. Uh, negative fifty with the wind chill. What are we doing? <laughs> Global warming? What? It's not real. It's fourteen. Negative fifty-one. Been, Poor guy. Seventeen out now with wind. I'm excited that I'll be able to wear a kind of a medium coat today. This. Uh, this winter's been all right, though. I shouldn't bitch too much. Yeah, it hasn't been too terrible yet. Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's been snow in April around here before. Hopefully that no. won't happen. Don't don't think that at all. Because baseball starts in what? February 18th. Yeah. Yeah, so it's coming. It's coming. We're almost there, folks. We're almost there. So have you jumped on the Bengals bandwagon? In terms of thinking that they're going to win or just like being a fan? Just being a fan. They kind of converted you. I do like watching them. They, Same here. They're just certain, you know, it's fun to watch Burrow. They're never out of it. You know what's funny, too, with Brady and Roethlisberger retiring? Because you'd have to even count Aaron Rodgers in this camp. Like, pretty much all that's left right now are maybe dual threats too strong of a word, but the statuesque quarterback is pretty much over in the NFL. 
Well, you have more of an athlete. Even even your pro style, like like a Herbert, is mobile. Mahomes, exactly. mobile. Burrow, mobile. Exactly. In yeah. your pro that, style, I mean, seven step drop guys. He's uh, he's an artifact right now. He's rare. It, it's over. I mean, it was Big Ben and Brady, and that's kind of yeah. Everybody else can move a little bit. Cranach, enjoy the weekend. We'll be back at it uh, next Saturday with the weekend edition of Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Hale Varsity Radio is the title. Give us a rating, good, bad, or ugly. And uh, be back on uh, later this afternoon, Lincoln East, really good ball club. They get to host Cranach's uh, Bellevue West T-Birds. So, Cranach, enjoy. Say hi to the kids, and we'll do it again soon. You as well, sir. Okay. All right, Connor, big thanks to you. Back at you next time with Hale Varsity.